0: Amen. Amen. That was beautiful, wasn't it? Wonderful message through drama and uh, so great. Thank you, team, for that. We appreciate that so much. It's always stirring, always stirring to see that battle that we're in and to see it visualized and how easy it is to succumb to the influences and presence of Satan in our life and yet our own flesh and to know that Christ is reclaiming us. I just think it's a wonderful way to do that. Well, good to have you here today in the service. We're glad that you're with us and glad you're here to worship with us. We want to continue to worship now through the Word. And so if you take your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13, I'm going to read verses 15 to 19 this morning, thirteen fifteen to 19, and I'm doing a message today entitled A Desert Praise, A Desert Praise. And so I'm praying that God will speak to you through this passage of Scripture as He spoke into my heart. Stand with me now. We're going to read verses 15 to 19. Verse 15, Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Do not neglect doing good and sharing, for which such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this, so that I may be restored to you the sooner. You may be seated. One of the first things that we teach our children When we are out in public, when we see someone incapacitated, or we see someone with mental issues, or we see someone who really struggles physically, one of the things we teach our children at a young age is don't stare. Don't stare at them. Don't don't look at them. Just just keep going. And we do that at some level to be polite to those who are incapacitated or have mental issues. But don't stare. Grows up and becomes. Don't see. Don't see. I've served for the last 10 years off and on on the Winston-Salem Rescue Mission. I'm over there about once a month in board meetings or different reasons. And I'll ask the people who are there that are homeless, I'll say, what is the most, I've done it many times, what is the most difficult thing about being homeless? And invariably, though the words may differ, it comes back to the same idea. They will tell me, I cease to be a person I cease to be a person. I'm standing there and people drive right by or they walk right by as if I'm an alien from another planet. They don't see me. I'm invisible. And I guess over time we learn to just not even see them anymore. So don't stare grows up to be don't see. And I think as I think about that, it's easy at some level to understand why we would do that with people we don't know. But what I'd like to get you to think about is, how many times do you do that to people you do know? They become invisible to you. You don't see them. You take them for granted. And they feel invisible, but you don't know it. Because you're so caught up in your own world that sometimes you can't see the invisibleness of what's going on. We can do it at our jobs. We can do it in our house. Have you ever felt invisible? You know, one of the things I marvel at in Scripture is that Jacob could go to bed with Leah, and he didn't even know it was Leah. Leah. He lived with those two girls for seven years before he married, wanted to marry Rachel, but he got Leah in her place. And he went to bed with her. He didn't know her. He was intimate with her. He held her in his arms, and he didn't know it was her. That to me is the epitome of blindness, the epitome of invisibleness that you wouldn't know the person you're in bed with. Have you ever felt invisible to the person you go to bed with? Invisibleness. That's where my heart is going as I come to this passage of Scripture. This can happen in all of us at some point to the person we marry. He doesn't see me. She doesn't see me. The people you give birth to. The parents who don't see you, the church you're going to, where people don't even see you. You live in this invisible pseudo reality. And what you're crying for underneath it is Does anyone see me? Does anyone see me? That's where my heart went. Yet I believe in this message today God wants to do something amazing. I believe that because He's spoken to me about this, and I want to see this brought to the forefront in your life through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe as I come to this passage, it is all done in the context of community and the context of worship. And when we're more interested in pleasing God than ourselves, at that moment, I believe He deals with our invisibleness, and we become more visible or whole. So that's kind of where I'm going with this message. You'll see as I draw it together here through it, but I've outlined it around this. There are three God-pleasing sacrifices to offer up in order to be seen, in order to be seen. So I'm going to jump right into them. Number one, the first one is the sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of praise. This is a great statement in Scripture. It's one of those Key verses I love and I feel like I need to camp on. Look at verse 15. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And then he goes on to say, and the other things are do good and share with such sacrifice, God is pleased. Now I love that line because it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. Offer up a sacrifice of praise. Now, I'll explain this to you as I get into this message, but it's one thing to praise God, it's another to offer a sacrifice of praise to God. So, in this passage, he says, through him, through Jesus Christ, what what did Jesus Christ do? Through Jesus Christ giving all of his blood and through Jesus Christ giving all of his body to be mutilated and torn apart, if you will. Therefore, because of what Jesus Christ has done with his sacrifice, we offer back a sacrifice of praise. The Old Testament, they offered an animal. In the New Testament, it's a sacrifice of praise. He does for us what we could not do for ourselves. gave his blood, gave his body as a substitute for our sin. We do for him what he doesn't want to do for himself, We offer a sacrifice of praise. We give it back to Him. We give it back to Him. Now, we can only offer a sacrifice of praise not based on our goodness, not based on earning something with God. It's a response to His sacrifice. And we do it on the basis of His sacrifice, His blood, His body. And that's a praise that pleases God continually when we offer back sacrifices of praise. Now, we do it here week after week. You do it day after day, but we do it week after week when we come to worship here together. And what we want to do is we want to come together and we want to really honor God through our singing, through our drama, through the message of the Word of God, through our prayer. We want to offer an honor and a glory to Him. Because there's lots of places this week and this time that are not wanting to honor Him. And so that's why we do that, and we do it here every Sunday. Now, here's what's unique to me. In verse 15, it says, how do we do it? With the fruit of our lips. Now, that strikes me. That's important. It's not enough for you to think warm thoughts about God. It's not enough. Okay? He's saying with the fruit of our lips. So what does that mean? Especially when we sing. We sing With the fruit of our lips. He wants to hear it from the fruit of our lips. That's that's an important thought to you so you understand that, okay? And that's what's so cool about being here for for the singing time because there's something engaging and beautiful and worshipful about that that draws us in. I know I'm drawn in in such a way that my heart is stirred through the music. Now, here's what I want you to understand. When you do that, when you come here on Sunday, it's not that you're the audience and these guys are the performers up here on the stage and somehow you hope that God uh, helps them do a great performance so that the audience can enjoy the good singing. That's definitely not it. Okay? I want you to get that, okay? The, what, what it really is, is God is the audience You're the performance. And all these people do is help you to have a good performance. With the fruit of your lips, if you sit there and you don't sing, you don't move your lips, you're not engaging, you're going to become invisible here. Invisible in the sense before God that he he doesn't hear any praise for, well, I'm thinking warm thoughts, I'm enjoying the song. No, he wants to hear from the fruit of your lips he wants you to engage. All this group should do is help you engage into the fruit of your lips. That's a sacrifice of praise to God. And that's, that's why I encourage you to sing and, and to engage in that. It, it, that's what good, what in my mind, good praise and worship is. It comes from the fruit of our lips. Now, now I know what you, some of you are thinking. Well, if you heard me, you'd tell me to Stop singing. Okay, maybe you can't sing. Sing softly. Sing softly. But move your lips. It's important you do that. That You move your lips and you say, God, I'm going to put it to words. I'm going to put it to words. Can you imagine being in a relationship with your wife and never using your lips to tell her how you feel about her? Slowly she's going to wonder, I wonder where I stand with this guy. Because he never says anything to me from my lip, from his lips. See, that's the same way with God. God says, I want to hear it. I want to hear what you think about me. And one of of the beautiful places to do this when we sing. I think it's an engaging place. And so you may not sing good. Just sing softly and let the voices around you carry the tune. But sing. Move your lips. I'm, I'm telling you, that's what the word of God is saying to you, okay? So I want to make sure you got that because that's important, because we are a community of praise. That's how we engage together. And and literally, not only do we just engage together, but we become visible, visible to God. Okay, then he goes on to say there's other ways to do it. Do good and share. That's, that's a simple way to offer another sacrifice of praise. It's not only the sacrifice of praise to God when you move your lips and worship together, but it is how you treat one another, how you treat one another, and how you share with one another. Sharing with one another and treating one another like decent human beings. The last thing I want you to do is to come to this worship service and sing with all your heart, engage and listen to the message, and you go out and you cut somebody off in the parking lot you've just missed the whole point. And then you rush over to the restaurant you're going to go to and you're fighting to get a parking space before somebody else. Let the guy have it. No, no, you can't because I won't be able to park anywhere. No, no, no. See, what he's saying is there's got to be a connection between what you're doing here right now and when you get in your car and you go to a restaurant. See, there's a connection. He says, do good and and share with those that have need. Now, I can say a whole lot more about that. That's good enough. That's a life of praise, all right? Number two, let's go on. A sacrifice, the second sacrifice is a sacrifice of submission. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. All right? Now, this is difficult for me to talk about. It's easier for me to talk about your money and sex which was hard for me to talk about before, but it's easier for me to talk about those than this. Because it's kind of a, uh, an obvious point here. I got to talk about respect me. How do you do that? How do you do it? And if, if I, I kind of have to tell you to respect me, haven't I lost it already? You know, so this is very hard to really talk about. It's kind of awkward for me, but um, the truth is, I got to talk about it because it's in the Word. He says, Obey and submit, that's a term for military, the the ranking of a person. One person ranks under another. Align yourself under the leadership of this church. Me, the pastor, our other pastoral leaders, our deacons, align yourself under them. In other words, know your place, know your place, And, and, and that's the idea, that this is my ranking, not because I'm so wonderful or any other leaders here are wonderful, but it's because as a leader, I'm acting upon the authority of the Word of God. And God says, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Because Pastor Rob is acting under the authority of God's Word. Because my opinion's no better than yours. My opinion has no more merit than your opinion. But when I get up here and preach, I may throw my opinion out, but my opinion. Compared to the authority of the Word of God, I'm telling you that when when I get up here and and I share God's Word, I don't feel like I'm sharing my opinion. I don't even how to describe this to you because there's something that comes over me every time I preach. I feel bold as a lion. I feel like I know what I'm saying. I, I sense this, I don't know how to put it in words, but I sense apostolic authority upon me because I'm being consistent with the Word of God. And when I feel that and sense that, God says, now you submit to that. Not because He's any better than you, but because He's giving you the authority of the Word of God. Now, now I know this. If you submit to God in this book, you'll submit to me. If I bring the truth of God as reflected in this book, then you'll submit to me as I bring the word to you. Now, why do you want to do this? Because he says that I've got to watch over your soul. That's a word for a shepherd. I've got to watch over your soul like a shepherd with the sheep, and I've got to give an account for you. And I've got to know that every time I got up here, I wasn't just shooting the breeze. I wasn't just trying to make you laugh, or I wasn't just trying to have a good time with you. I know I've got to preach the whole counsel of the Word of God. The best way I know how to do that is go verse by verse by verse through every book of the Bible, at least the New Testament. And so I know i got to give an account for that, and i got to give an account for you. And so that, that weighs on me as a pastor to know that I'm held under that kind of authority. Um, and so he says, for you, when you do it with your pastor, when you submit to your pastor, when you align yourself under the leadership Basically, what he's saying to you is, you're going to give that guy a lot of joy. You're going to give me as your pastor a lot of joy. He says, you know, bring joy to your pastor. Make him feel good about you being his pastor and you being the, the member underneath that pastor. Make him feel good about that, that he, he feels this joy like, man, I love to pastor that person. Man, they are They're wonderful. It's just just the joy that I feel to pastor people. I love it. I love it. He says, but don't be a grief. The word there is the word to groan. Don't, don't do anything that would make me want to groan about you. Oh, here they come again. Oh, boy. I, oh, no. I wonder if they're going to call me again. You know, you don't want to be that. Don't be that person with me. Don't don't make your life a burden to me in such a way. Doesn't mean you can't call me, share your burdens and all that, but but in such a way that you 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 make me groan when I see you. <laughs> you don't want to do that. that. That'd be a terrible way to have it. And and so that's what he's saying there. Make my job a joy to do. Where I see you serving, where I see you, where I see you moving and growing in your Christian life. That's that's such a joy to me. But let me tell you something, you know what grieves me? Just. I hate to hear some of the things I hear, and, and people tell me things, all. Th- and some of it just grieves my heart. It just gro- I groan inside when I know a sheep gets wayward. The last couple, three weeks, one of the sheep got wayward. I'm just telling you, something in my soul, you know, I wrestle in my own soul. Should I, should I call him? Should I talk to him? Should I let it go? What should I do, Lord? I don't even know what to do half the time. But I know this, I groan when I see a sheep Walk in a bad way. He says, don't, don't let that happen to your pastor. Be a joy to him. And, and that's what I want more than anything. Because I love this job. I just tell my wife the other night, I can't do anything else. I just can't do anything else. I've been offered so many different jobs, and I just can't seem to do anything else. And It's because there's just something in me. He kind of alluded to this. uh, uh, Ben was alluding to this when he was talking about it. But but, uh, as exciting as the game I watched last night or as exciting as going to, say, an inauguration of the president or things that I've been invited to in terms of my life, um, I'd rather be here. I'd rather be right here because those things aren't eternal. They, they, they don't affect eternity. That's a better way to say it. They don't impact eternity that much. But right here, this impacts eternity because lives are, are engaging and thinking and God's twisting and the Spirit of God's speaking. And that's, that's where I want to be. That's where I want to be. That's why I can't, I can't seem to do anything else. I want to be part of something that I know eternity's impacted by it and being influenced. So, that is the sacrifice of submission. Okay, let's go on. Number three, the sacrifice of prayer. The sacrifice of prayer, verse 18, pray for us. We are sure we have a good conscience, uh, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this, to pray, so that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, what the writer's asking for here is prayer to have effective ministry. I want to get to see you. I want you to pray that I'll be able to come see you and have effective ministry. And he says, I urge you to do this. I urge you. So let me just urge you. I urge you to pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for our other pastoral staff. Pray for our other leaders at this church. I urge you to do that. You don't know how important that is to me. You don't know how much that means to me. Above everything else, that is one of those things that's on the top of the list. That I know people are praying for me. That, that matters to me. Too, and I urge you to do that. And you don't know what it means when you come up and say, you know, I'm praying for you every day. Man, that just does something inside me. I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful because people pray. And that's what the writer's doing here. He's saying, pray the more and more for me. In other words, pray for me that I can get to you so that we can do more effective ministry. I got to thinking about that. That's exactly why I want you to pray for me. I want to see more souls saved. I want to see more people discipled. I want to see grow, people grow deeper in their walk with the Lord. I want to see more nations reached than just the 75 missionary and organizations that we send out. I want to do more. I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied. Now, if a pastor can stand up in his pulpit and say, you know, I'm completely satisfied with where we're at. Or I'm just a satisfied person. I, I just, I'm, that's, I'm not built that way. I am not built that way. I am not satisfied. I want to do more. Who can really say I'm completely satisfied in my life? I can't. I want to do more, and I want to be effective in that. And that's why the sacrifice of prayer is so important. That's a sacrifice for you. I know that. Pray for me. We're entering into a building program. I still got to do everything else I got to do, and I got to do the building program too. And, be, and that's so instrumental. And there's so many people here that are going to be involved in that piece. That's a big deal. And I travel, and I get stressed out, and I get burdened by things. I was burdened by something at the academy in the last couple of weeks. And that just got me. I got Solomon up into my room, the administrator, and I said, man, we got to pray about this. And we talked about it, and we said, what should we do? I don't know. Let's just pray. That's, that's on my heart. That academy, because we're discipling kids. And I realize all these little tentacles that try to mess that up. And and I, I sense that. And so I just say to Solomon, I don't know what to do. Let's just pray. Let's pray. And that's what we do we pray together. See, I'm urging you to do that. I'm urging you to make those kind of efforts. In your life because I realize how important that is. Okay, that's that's the verses there. And so what happened as I read that, then my mind jumped. And I said, I want to make sure I hammer home the point of the sacrifice of praise. And so I'm gonna show you one. There's so many I went to, but I'm going to this Genesis 16. If you have your Bible and you want to turn there, I would encourage you to do that, to follow along with me. It's probably one of the most incredible chapters in the book of Genesis, and I feel most drawn to this one for the sacrifice of praise. Now, i gotta get, I got to get going on this so I don't preach too long here, but Sarah was 75 years of age. She's frustrated over the fact that she has not gotten a baby yet, and God promised it to her. And she says to Abraham, "'The Lord has restrained me. He has pushed down on me. He has crushed me. He has restrained me from having children. Go in unto my handmaiden, Hagar,' And go to bed with her and get seed from her. Now that was a custom in those days that you could go to the handmaid, the servant, and you could pass on your line if you were barren. It was so important they had a baby. And so that was a legal custom in the law of the land in that day. But before God, it was stupid. It was just foolish for her to send Hagar into bed with her husband. just foolish. And you know what she did? I'm going to tell you what she did. What a lot of you will do if you're not careful, you'll start breaking down boundaries in your home. You start pulling down boundaries and you'll break some rules that you can say, oh, it's the law of the land. It's okay. But you're going to break boundaries and you're going to bring a disaster to the home. And that's what she did. She brought a disaster into the home. And but for the grace of God, God used it in the lives of these two. And it's an amazing story. But anyway, she says, go into my handmaid Hagar. Uh, Go into my, uh, in other words, she sent Hagar to Abraham's bed to birth a child. And now, a few months later, she knows she's pregnant. Hagar's pregnant. And she's walking around the house with her nose up in the air because Sarah broke some boundaries. And she's got this look like, I got your husband's baby. Yep, I can do what you can't do. And the Bible says in verse 4 that she was despised in in, in, uh, Hagar's eyes. In other words, Hagar looked down on Sarah. And boy, that ticked off Sarah. Sarah was despised in her servant's eyes. Well, you told me to go in. You wanted me to make, do more than make up the bed. You told me to go to his bed. So there's this huge tension in the home, and the, it mounts between these two women, Sarah and Hagar. Now, by the way, I'd rather see tension between two rattlesnakes than between two women. Just so you know my personal opinion, all right? That's opinion, all right? That's not Bible. Add to that, Abraham's caught in the middle. You never want to be a man caught between two angry women. You ought to write that in the back of your Bible somewhere. You never want to be a man caught between two angry women. And by the way, if your wife says you go to bed with another woman, don't do it. Don't do it, okay? I don't care if she says it. Don't you do it. You write that in the back of your Bible, too, because that'll help you one day, (laughs) all right? And so he did exactly, so you can't let him off the hook. You can't look and say, well, I just did what you wanted, because that's what men do. I did what you wanted. Well, did you ever think it was right or wrong? See, because you're held accountable. Ultimately, Abraham's accountable for this home. Not Sarah, but Sarah messed it up, but Abraham messed it up worse. He hearkened to her voice. And he said, okay, that's what you want me to do. I'm tired of this mess between you two. I keep hearing from one ear to the other ear. Look what she's doing over there. Did you see the way she looked at me? Did you hear what she said about me? And yakking in one ear of Abraham's ear. And there's Hagar in the other ear. And he had it. He had it because he created his own mess. And back and forth they went, each talking and, and going at him, this is the atmosphere of the home. This is the terrible, contentious home. I'd rather work a contentious job than have contention in the home. I'm going to let you in on a little more of my life. I remember two ladies about, oh, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 years ago. Uh, got into a fuss at the church here. It was in the connector area when we were back in the old sanctuary. And uh, so one of the ladies rushed into my office and said, there's two ladies fighting out in the connector area. First thought was, get one of the deacons, okay? Because you don't want to get between two angry women. So I rushed out there to the connector area, and I'm telling you, when I got out there, the one lady had her hand up like a fist right in the face of the other lady, and she said, why, if this wasn't a church, I'd bop you right in the face. That's the exact quote, by the way. I never forgot it. I'll bob you right in the face. So I stepped between them, which was about the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. I stepped between them and said, you don't want to do that. Stand aside, preacher, and watch. <laughs> Whew, this woman's got some issues. Okay, but anyways, I had to calm and diffuse that situation so I know what it's like to get between two angry women. It got so bad in this home, Sarah and Agar, Abraham finally said, I release." This baby, or I release this woman to you, Sarah. Do with her as you please. And that was all Sarah was waiting for. In verse six, the Bible says she treated her harshly. Now listen to me, okay? This, this is what happens when you let down the boundaries in your life. Chaos is born. Chaos is born. And that's exactly what happened in this home. Sarah finally gets fed up with it. Get out of here. Take your stuff and go. Go out the back door and don't let it hit you on the way out. Hit the road, Jack. And don't you come back no more, no more. Hit the road. And she does. And Harris, Hagar starts to flee from Sarah. And she's running from Sarah. When a woman gets angry, all you can do is run. Run. And she fled, and she fled fast. Where are you going? I don't know. Where are you going to stay? I don't know. Well, how are you going to live? I don't know. You're pregnant. you got a baby. That's right. She just runs. She just runs. i got to thinking about this. I just want to throw this in. Sometimes your life is not always about what you're running to. It's about what you're running from. And some of the dumbest decisions you'll make in your life is because of what you're running from, not what you're running to. But she made them. She made a decision to run from her problems. Never make a decision based on what you're running from. She runs to the desert. She's pregnant in the desert. She's running from her mistress. And I love this in verse 7. It says, the angel of the Lord found her. I love that. It's verse, what verse is that? Verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring of the water to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. The first thing that hit me when I was reading this is the angel of the Lord found her. I thought, wow. Wow. I don't care where you run. I don't care how many states you lived in. I don't care what countries you can go to. The Lord can find you. And oftentimes he has to find you in your desert because you're on the run. She's on the run and the Lord found her. I love that. Anywhere you go, God can find you. A house of ill repute, a crack house, Doesn't matter. Got your hideout with your buddies. You think your mom doesn't know, your dad doesn't know. But God can find you. And by the way, if He does find you there, that's His grace. Because there's sometimes God just doesn't go looking for you because you don't want to be found. But it's a beautiful thing when you do want to be found because He can find you. See, we often say, I found the Lord. You didn't find the Lord, He was never lost. He found you. He found you. And the Lord found Hagar. And I just want to say as I get into this sacrifice of praise, thank the Lord that he's always been able to find you. He found her in her lowest state. He found her in her fear. He found her in her chaos. Your wife may not find you. Your husband may not find you. Your mom may not find you. Your brother may not find you. But he knows where you are. It's a beautiful thing. And I would say the first thing I want to say to you about this, I would thank the Lord he can find you. Praise him because he can find you. The second thing I want to say to you is praise him because God would send his angel, the angel of the Lord, a pre-incarnate experience of Jesus Christ. He would send his angel after a slave. Now, this is what I liked about it. He sends his angel, after a slave. It must mean that this woman's more important than I thought she was. She's a slave. In their eyes, she's worthless. Let her go, Sarah says. Let her go. I don't care about her. But God's chasing a slave. It's beautiful to think about. She was pregnant with that little child, and because she went to bed with Abraham, God said, you go after her. That girl's now got purpose. She's part of my plan. Now I'm going to use her. Even if she is a slave, she may look tattered on the outside. She may have holes in her shoes on the outside. But God says, what's inside of her is precious to me. God found her. It's beautiful to think about. Because she was invisible to everyone else. Abraham said, do what you want with her. Sarah said, get out. She's invisible, invisible to everyone else. But she was important to God. God knew there was a purpose. He knew he could take something that was miserable and bad and he could work it out for good. The truth is, Hagar really is running from God. You can't run from your problems. They'll always, they'll always catch up with you. God found her. He looked at her and he said, stop running, face reality, I want you to go back to Sarah. That's what the angel of the Lord said, stop running, face reality. There's a principle here, I want you to get it, okay? You cannot cure what you will not confront. You cannot cure what you will not confront. You keep thinking time will take care of it, you keep putting it off, but you cannot cure what you will not confront. She's running. She's running. Think about that. that. God said, what are you doing in this desert place? What are you doing in this dry place? Go back. Go back. You can't spend the rest of your life running from everything that's uncomfortable to you. You're going to run from everything in your life that's uncomfortable to you? You're going to quit? I have found this to be true. You'll never respect yourself if you keep running. You'll never respect yourself if you keep quitting. The truth of the matter is, as bad as it is back there, it is what it is, go back to it. Go back to it. Face it. You can never cure what you will not confront. Now, instead of being afraid to go back to Sarah, what I found amazing in the passage is Hagar got happy. She got happy in the desert. And the reason she got, by the way, did you know you could get happy in your desert? This occurs to me that, that this is what God wants to do. She got happy in her desert. She looked at this experience with the angel of the Lord, and she said, it's the only woman in the Bible who says it, she says, the amazing thing to me is you are to me El Royai. That's, that's Hebrew, El Royai. What that means is, you, God, see me. She couldn't get over the fact that God would see her because she felt so invisible. And so she's experiencing God in the desert and says, God, you see me. By the way, that, that phrase there is used of shepherds with their sheep. God, you see me like this sheep who's invisible in the flock. And I I can't get over that. You want me to go back to Sarah? I'll go back to Sarah. Is Sarah going to change her attitude? No, Sarah's probably still going to be mean to her. But she's like, that's no big deal to me. I may be invisible to you, Sarah, but God sees me. The best praise God ever got was not just a praise. It was a sacrifice of praise. Now hear this, okay? When you praise him in the middle of your desert, that's a sacrifice of praise. When you praise him in your trouble, that's a sacrifice of praise. When you praise him when you're under attack, that's a sacrifice of praise. This is why it's so powerful here in this passage for me. When you praise him in your storm, when you praise him in your problem, when you praise him while you're still waiting for an answer, when you don't know the answer, that's a sacrifice of praise. That's what he's after. There is no praise like a desert praise to God. He loves these kind of sacrifices of praise when it hurts to praise him. No money, no food, but I got to praise God. I'm isolated. I feel I'm in a crisis, but I'm going to praise you, God. And what the devil wants is he wants you crying in your desert. He wants you crying in your dry place. But God says, I want you to praise me. I want to sacrifice a sacrifice of praise. And she gave a sacrifice that said, you, God, see me. That's good enough. Is that good enough for you? Is that good enough? God sees me. Some woman who's never been seen, always overlooked, never had a chance, never regarded. Everybody walked past. And she's okay with that. She's okay with that because God sees her. Now, the reason I preach this is because I believe I'm supposed to tell you, God sees you. God sees you. He sees you. Is that enough? Is that enough for you? Is that enough for you to give a sacrifice of praise to God? Maybe you feel like a nobody. Maybe you feel invisible. That's my word today, invisible. Maybe you feel like you don't have a title. God says, I know all that, but I see you. I see you. Maybe you made some bad mistakes. He still says it. I see you. I'm mindful of you. Sarah may not see you. Abraham may not see you. Your husband may not see you. Your mom may not see you. But God says, I see you. I see you. I know you feel invisible sometimes, working part-time, double shifts, flipping burgers, your body racked with pain, God says, I see you. I see what's down inside of you, and I see what you can be. I see you. God sits high, but he loves to see low. Because he's got all power in his hand. And I think he likes that a whole lot when he has to see low. Now, I'm going to have to close this message out, okay? What is the angel of the Lord saying? Now, I want you to get this. If you, forget, if you didn't get nothing yet, okay, I want you to get this before you walk out of here, all right? Here it is. There is no provision in the run. There's no provision in the run. The provision is in the fight. The provision is in the fight. Stop running from the fight and go back home. Go back home. Your provision is in the house of Sarah. That's what he was saying to her. Your provision is in the house of Sarah. You left her. She hurts your feelings. You you, you don't feel recognized. It's difficult. You know, it's complicated. All those things. You're crying. All those kind of things. But God says, I'll provide for you. I'll give you the provision in your trouble. Now hear me because this is where the Lord spoke to me. Psalm 46.1. The Lord is our refuge. The Lord is our strength. He's an ever-present help in time of need. An ever-present help in time of need. This is where the Lord spoke to me. If you run from your trouble, you run from God's help. Let that sink in. That's the way I meditated on the verse. If you run from God's trouble, you run from God's help. Because he's an ever-present help in trouble. So if you run from the trouble, you're running from his help. You're running from God. And Lock that into your heart. Lock that into your soul. If you run from trouble, you run from his provision. His provision. He said he'll be an ever-present help in trouble. But he puts the provision in the place of trouble. And if you're running from that, you can't get his provision. And I think that's why Sarah's so happy to go where she was once running from. She goes back to a girl that's just going to make her life torturous. But she's okay with that because she has now seen the God who sees her. And she can deal with that. She can deal with that. God sees me, and if God sees me, I can deal with the fact you don't see me. If God sees me, I can deal with it if you walk past me, if you snub me, if you give me snide remarks, if you're sarcastic to me. God sees me, and I can deal with that. That's enough for me. That's all I need to know. God sees me. Lump in my breast, blood in my stool. They don't pay me enough at work, but God sees me. That's beautiful. Let's pray. Now, I want to just do this for a moment. This is where my heart is. Let the lights go down, that's fine. Let the praise team come. the god who sees you has not forsaken you running through my mind was a woman tossing and turning at 2 in the morning throwing her head in the pillow and crying tears your husband doesn't see you but god sees you run through my mind was the husband crying in the shower the wife doesn't see it. But God sees you. My heart ran in a hundred different directions, and this is what I came up with. I want to pray over people who have felt invisible. I want to pray over people who have felt invisible. And I'm just going to have a word of prayer. I'm not going to ask you to come, I'm just going to ask you to stand. If this is your desire to have a prayer over you to have felt invisible I'm going to ask you to stand maybe a wife, maybe a husband maybe you've been raped maybe you've been on drugs maybe you're single maybe you got special needs maybe you're sick You're emotionally bankrupt. You got a nice car in the driveway, but there's no love in the marriage. Maybe you're not the favorite child. You're almost there, but you're not the favorite. I just feel a burden to pray over you. So, If you'd like to stand right now, some of you are already standing, but you want to stand right now. I want to pray over the people who have felt invisible. Would you just stand right where you are? You don't have to come forward. You don't have to do anything else. Just just stand. I want to pray over you. Everyone who stands, I want this prayer to go forth before God. Father God, I lift up the invisible, the abandoned, the forsaken, they're rejected. I lay them before you right now. They're in a desert place. and It's real dry. And the truth is, Lord, they're vulnerable. Would you give them power and peace? I ask for your power and peace over these who are standing. That they'd have the power and peace to overcome every obstacle in their life right now. God, may they have the courage to stand up to life. Finish the job that you started in them. Father, I pray for that. And help them. Help them, Father, to get out of their wilderness and to go back home. To Go back home. Lord, I just want to lift that up now in the name of Jesus. Everyone else, would you stand with me now? Just stand with me as we enter into this praise song. Father, I pray you put your anointing upon this song and all the praise that is given to you with the fruit of our lips. We enter into it now. We ask it in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name.